Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, which runs every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., I'm a licensed medical herbalist who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. I run a clinic in Garberville, uh, where I consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's subject of You Are What You Eat. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is one 800 568-3723. So you are what you eat. Uh, this phrase has come to us uh, via quite a tortuous route. Uh, Anthelm Brillat Savarin uh, wrote in Physiologie du Gout ou Méditation de Gastronomie Transcendante in 1826, uh, saying, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Uh, in an essay titled Concerning Spiritualism and Materialism, 1863 to 1864, uh, Ludwig Andreas Feuerbach wrote, Der Mensch ist, was er ist. So that translates into English, as man is what he eats. Uh, neither Brillat Savarin or Feuerbach meant their quotations to be taken literally. They were stating that the food one eats has a bearing on one's state of mind or, and or health. The actual phrase didn't emerge in English until some time later. In the 1920s and 30s, the nutritionist Victor Lindler, who was a strong believer in the idea that food controls health, developed the catabolic diet. Now, that view gained some adherence at the time, and the earliest known printed example is from an advert for beef in a 1923 edition of the Bridgeport Telegraph for United Meat Markets. In Australia, as elsewhere, nearly half of the population will experience a mental health problem at some point in their lives, and this means even people who are not personally affected are likely to know someone who has experienced such an illness. And research now suggests that depression and dementia are affected by the quality of our diets across the life course. Indeed, studies from countries as diverse as Norway, Spain, Japan, China, the United Kingdom, the United States and Australia show people whose diets are healthier are less likely to experience depression. Uh, the most recent evidence points to the importance of the mother's diets for the mental and physical health of their children. And I know Dr. Raymond Pete has been very, uh, very keen to point out that mother's nutrition is extremely important in setting up the child's future. Uh, and uh, Dr. Pete is with us in the show. In a few minutes here, we'll be introducing Dr. Pete and hearing his perspective on You Are What You Eat, because I know he has some very... Uh, um, very unique ways and perspectives of looking at this subject. Now, the role of nutrition on development is an obvious one, but mostly ignored or overlooked in the perspective of health and well-being. And the concept of homeostasis, that is the constancy of the inner environment or internal, internal milieu, was first originally formulated by the French physiologist Claude Bernard, who was alive from 1813 to 1878. And he was a French French physiologist. Well, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so as always, uh, people who have tuned into the show who may not have heard you, uh, I would appreciate if you would give an outline of your academic and professional background before we get into tonight's subject. Um, after I had studied in the humanities and, and taught 
art and uh, English and various things, I decided to go back to graduate school in biology at 1968 University of Oregon and uh, wrote my dissertation on uh, the age-related changes in oxidative metabolism uh, in the hamster uterus uh, and how it affects fertility with aging. And uh, uh, that involved uh, hormones and nutrition, uh, among other things, and how the environment affects uh, those factors, uh, especially uh, the uh, efficiency of metabolism using oxygen. And since then, I've been uh, writing and doing consultations and uh, trying to figure things out, uh, still working on some of those same themes, uh, oxidative metabolism and aging, uh, the whole idea of, of metabolic efficiency is one of my uh, current themes. And, uh, uh, Lindar, that you just mentioned, uh, his idea of the catabolic diet was uh, to uh, choose foods for their metabolic inefficiency. <laughs> Because uh, people eating uh, to satisfy their appetite uh, tend to get fat uh, on the available foods. And he found that uh, uh, he could uh, get people to lose uh, fat very consistently uh, and quickly uh, by choosing certain foods that uh, increased their metabolic rate so that they could... Uh, burn calories faster than they were eating them. And, uh, uh, that was in the 1920s when he did that research. And uh, uh, just by chance, uh, a few years later, uh, George Burr, who was uh, studying the effect of fats in the diet, mm -hmm. uh, found that if he made uh, his rats deficient in the unsaturated fatty acids, uh, they burned calories at a terrific rate, uh, as much as 50% faster than normal. And uh, he thought that was bad. <laughs> uh, and uh, he became very popular with the uh, agricultural industry because uh, they found that uh, feeding those <clears throat> uh, polyunsaturated fats to uh, pigs and chickens and such, uh, they would gain weight quickly and cheaply without eating very much food. Right. Just the opposite of what Lindar wanted to do was to find foods that would decrease the efficiency of the metabolism so that uh, people would produce <clears throat> heat <clears throat> without gaining weight. Do you, do you know what kind of foods uh, Lindar advocated? Uh, lots of fruits and vegetables, okay. including Fru fruit juices. Okay. Huh. Okay. Uh, and uh, the uh, standard nutritional uh, education uh, in emphasizes the concept of uh, a specific dynamic action or the thermogenic right. effect of various foods. And uh, it's widely recognized that eating protein increases your body temperature and heat production okay. by uh, quite a bit, uh, 15 or 20 percent. 
uh, and uh, sugar uh, a little less than that. Fat, not not quite. So uh, I know you've mentioned. I don't mean to interrupt, but I know you've mentioned uh, quite a lot in the past uh, about coconut being thermogenic. Um, coconut yeah, oil. Sorry. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think there are many reasons for that, and the um, the coconut is a, a very highly saturated fat and it happens that the unsaturated fats interfere with the mitochondrial use of oxygen in several ways by uh, uh, producing free radicals uh, inflammation and by uh, interfering in a variety of ways with thyroid hormone function okay. uh, so all along the line the polyunsaturated fats uh, slow down oxidative metabolism and so if you if your body is soaked in these uh, yeah. c- conventional seed oils mm-hmm. then when you eat uh, coconut oil especially the uh, the shorter very mobile uh, fatty acids that are only a third or half as long as as the standard fats uh, these move into cells very quickly and oxidize without that antithyroid effect the uh, seed oils mostly have. Okay, interesting. Okay, so um, <coughs> Victor Landler then came up with the uh, uh, the paper on uh, catabolic, uh, a catabolic diet, so the, the opposite of anabolism, which is to build muscle, and catabolism is to break it down with the production of heat. Um, uh, yeah, uh, in the um, uh, 50s and 60s, uh, People were experimenting with uh, what kind of diet is efficient for losing fat okay. and still maintaining your health. Uh-huh. And they did experiments in which people would just uh, have uh, pure water for <laughs> 10 days or 14 days, and uh, then they would analyze what happened to their bodies, and they found that they lost almost pure fat a pure protein during that time, very right. little fat. Right, right, okay. And if they uh, ate maybe six to 800 calories per day during that same 10 to 14 days, they would lose mostly fat and very little protein. Interesting, because that's uh, the muscle mass that a person loses when they uh, fast, or, for example, if they're using, like you said, that water for 10 days. That you Actually, the first thing that you would lose is your muscle mass, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that's why uh, so many women uh, are dieting constantly and getting fatter. Because uh, Explain that a little, will you? Uh, if they eat an extremely low-calorie diet, creating stress, the uh, high cortisol and other stress hormones cause them to break down their protein uh, and their big muscles shrink mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, a typical dieter will you can hardly see her uh, calf muscles to become so atrophied and the um, big skeletal muscles even at rest burn fat to maintain themselves okay. uh, almost a pure fat diet when they're at rest and so the more dieting they do, if, if they do it extremely, uh, the smaller their muscles get and the uh, easier it is to get fat the next time they eat a normal diet. Right. And you, you said with the addition of uh, how, much, how much fat was the uh, addition that caused the, uh, uh, the protein to be conserved in that diet? 
Oh, um, they've fed them uh, different foods, uh, like a mixed diet, a little protein, a little uh, carbohydrate, and uh, not especially a, a low-fat intake, but just so that they, they were able to uh, get some of their uh, calorie needs from the diet rather than from their tissues. Because um, when you're in the first day on a fast, uh, your body uh, uses up the sugar that's stored as glycogen. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as your uh, blood sugar falls because you've used up your stores, uh, then your cortisol rises, first the adrenaline, then the cortisol. And the cortisol, uh, having no food available, it starts converting your thymus gland and uh, big skeletal muscles mostly uh, to uh, free amino acids, which then can be, some of them uh, are converted to glucose mm -hmm. uh, to feed your blood cells and brain and eyes and so on. Yeah. Uh, because uh, those have an absolute requirement for uh, for glucose. And so even a plain sugar diet uh, to supply that uh, minimal amount that your brain and blood cells uh, require, uh, that will greatly prevent the uh, rising cortisol and loss of good tissue. Okay. Um you're listening to Ask Europe, Doctor on KMUD, Carbonville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's topic of You Are What You Eat. Uh, we're joined by Dr. Raymond Pete, um, and he has a wealth of experience and knowledge that he's uh, currently sharing. And Dr. Pete, it's, it's well established. I just want to jump onto this next subject of, uh, and probably spend a little bit more time on uh, what's coming out in science about the uh, what they call the microbiome uh, of a person's body. And it's well established that your gut apparently is your second brain providing more input to your brain than the brain provides to it. Uh, and this is why your gut health is largely related in your gut bacteria, including your mental health and emotional well-being. Um, so it's been... There's quite a few quite a few journal articles that have come out in 2013 and 2014 about the microbiome and making links uh, specifically to disease processes and the microbiome. And um, I know that you advocate uh, several several dietary uh, factors that I think inadvertently uh, are modulating, if you like, the uh, microbiome. And I think the the science bringing about the uh, explanation of the microbiome is now justifying what you're saying about, uh, for example, uh, indigestible fibers like bamboo shoots, uh, carrots, etc., as being healthful in terms of their modulating the microbial content of the gut, and along with things like cascara. Now, you talk a lot about cascara, not just for uh, bowel moti motility and um, improving bowel function and waste clearance, but also because the cascara itself has a, 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 a cyclic structure quite similar to tetracycline uh, in terms of it being uh, a, a similar antibiotic in the gut and how this uh, affecting uh, bacterial colonies uh, in a positive way to uh, remove bad bacteria um, actually allows uh, normal healthy bacteria to flourish and therefore modulate the, the gut as an organism. Um. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, both Emoden from Cascara or a Chinese rhubarb and such, uh, and tetracycline and related uh, minocycline and doxycycline, uh, these are anti-inflammatory as well as antiseptic and uh, uh, Emoden and the tetracyclines have a, a surprising range of, of good effects, uh, anti-inflammatory and uh, probably mood-improving minocycline is, is being found to uh, prevent, possibly improve uh, dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emoden has, uh, every year, it seems like there are half a dozen new functions that are found for Emoden, uh, including uh, improving the, the uh, flora of the intestine. Emoden, am I right in thinking that Emoden is also present in aloe vera? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of plants. Yeah. Uh, okay. Generally, they're laxative plants. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, uh, it isn't the uh, typical uh, purging kind of laxative. If the Emoden, if the Cascara isn't properly aged, right. it does have an irritating purging effect, but mm-hmm. uh, aging uh, makes it insoluble in water comparatively, and uh, it loses the irritating inflammatory property and becomes anti-inflammatory and sedative. And right. it actually increases the production of energy while uh, having a, a nerve calming sedative effect. And this, this again is that red, uh, that red compound that you've mentioned in the past that has been is energetically favourable in terms of its uh, both uh, electron quenching activity uh, and its uh, anti-inflammatory activity. Um, yeah, uh, as a, sort of a sideline to my uh, research in graduate school on uh, what causes uh, oxidative metabolism to go down with aging. I, I would uh, uh, look for all kinds of plant and animals that were colored and uh, do extracts and uh-huh. uh, look for things that stimulated oxidative metabolism. And I got the interest partly from St. George's work. He found that uh, the, uh, the color of cells is closely connected to the oxidative process. Uh, for example, the deep maroon or purple color of the liver and certain areas of the brain uh, are deeply pigmented. He knew that it didn't have any of the usual functions of pigment uh, and he found that it was uh, related to uh, well, he knew that uh, uh, semiconductors are generally black uh, because of a Mm -hmm. peculiar electronic arrangement that causes them to absorb all the light that hits them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he figured that uh, the life process involves semiconduction, and so pigments are especially relevant yeah. to uh, the uh, use of energy in living things. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in terms of uh, uh, transporting electrons from one, one, one uh, phase to another and therefore carrying either electrical charge... Uh, as a form of uh, energy? Um, yeah, uh, I think last month we were talking about uh, uh, methylene blue mm-hmm. as an artificial uh, electron uh, transporter. 
uh, and it can, uh, like vitamin C, uh, vitamin C in this normal form isn't a pigment, but it uh, has some of the same electronic uh, behaviors. Uh, both of those can uh, pick up electrons from nutrients such as glucose and uh, pass them into the mitochondrion even if the first two units of the mitochondrion are damaged, uh, methylene blue and uh, vitamin C and probably uh, many other natural pigments can uh, uh, deliver energy electrons down to the third complex of the mitochondrion and allow it to keep function functioning even uh, after a serious damage. Yeah. And uh, so part of that function is to uh, stop producing free radicals, which are mostly produced in the upper part of the electron transport chain as it's being damaged. Okay, so uh, get, getting on to uh, the kind of wider topic of you are what you eat, um, I think probably just to bring out some of those things that you mentioned uh, for many different uh, conditions or uh, processes that can be corrected um, by various... I mean, you prescribe a lot of dietary um, advice in terms of modulating the way people's physiology is working and therefore bringing people back to good health in a very natural way um, with no side effects. It's not a you know, drug-orientated approach. Uh, it's very nutritional. And... Um, I know, obviously, uh, you're very keen on saturated fats as opposed to the polys and the polyunsaturates as being very uh, detrimental to health. Um, obviously, sugar. I know you talk a lot about fruit juices and fructose in particular as an energy promoter. Um, in terms of uh, you are what you eat, the, uh, the gut bacteria uh, and the bacteria within the bowel, and what do you, what do, what do you know from the... Uh, uh, studies that have been done on uh, for mood, for example, uh, and or autism in children that have uh, have shown some definite correlation between gut bacteria uh, and their intestinal flora and the intestinal flora in populations that are not suffering uh, with autism and uh, how how I think in the future perhaps the uh, the antibiotics uh, that are very useful, and I know you're an advocate of antibiotics, and I know most people, unfortunately, have a mistaken belief that antibiotics are bad. I think just from the cases where maybe females are getting thrush after using antibiotics, it conjures up this kind of popular myth or popular notion that antibiotics are bad. But actually, we know that they're very positive uh, influences on our physiology and especially on our gut uh, for wiping out bad bacteria. But what's your thought about uh, altering the uh, so-called microbiome of the body so that specific bacteria that are known to be uh, detrimental to health can be eradicated and leaving the positive bacteria behind to actually influence the populations within the digestive tract? Um, about uh, 1990, I read an article uh, from a fertility clinic in, in which uh, a lot of the women uh, were uh, trying to uh, conceive and uh, the uh, fertilized ovum just wouldn't implant. And uh, the doctors uh, thought that it might indicate that there was an infection in the uterus, so they gave uh, all of their patients 
uh, a course of antibiotics. And uh, besides improving their fertility, a lot of the patients uh, said uh, suddenly that their chronic headaches had disappeared. Hmm. And so they uh, gave them hormone tests to see what was uh, going on and causing both fertility to improve and headaches and other symptoms to disappear. They found that the antibiotics had lowered their cortisol and estrogen production and increased Hmm. progesterone Hmm. in their serum, uh, explaining the uh, uh, increased fertility but a a whole range of other symptoms related to stress. And uh, following uh, reading about that, I suggested that uh, because I, I knew that uh, uh, the estrogen, which is excreted by a healthy liver in the bile, mm-hmm. um, is much of it is reabsorbed and uh, stays in the circulation if you uh, have a sluggish intestine. And so I suggested that if they eat a carrot every day to uh, stimulate the intestine, the carrot will bind the bile and uh, lower the serum estrogen level. Uh, that's, that's now generally accepted that any fiber tends to lower your yeah. uh, absorption of estrogen from yeah. the bile. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, within three or four days, uh, these people tested their estrogen, cortisol, and, and progesterone, and it was doing the same thing that the synthetic antibiotics had done. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Knowing about carrots and, and that they can get very tiresome if you eat one a day for years, <laughs> I looked around for other foods that were antiseptic yeah. and uh, uh, might have that same effect. And bamboo shoots uh, are something that you don't get too tired of. Mm-hmm. They don't have much flavor, so you can uh, put them in a lot of different foods. And cooking a bamboo shoot doesn't... Uh, uh, destroy the fiber the way a cooked carrot does. Yeah. Uh, so you have to eat raw carrots or cooked bamboo shoots. Do you, do you know of any other fibers, Dr. Pete, uh, that have that effect? Mush- mushrooms, I think. Mushrooms? Uh, yeah, they, they, because they grow uh, underground in <laughs> a very uh, uh, decaying environment. They have to have powerful antibiotics. Interesting. Do do you not? Okay, I, I you surprise me when you say mushrooms because I wouldn't have thought that would have been naturally one thing that you would have said to someone would be uh, okay to eat. But you're. Well, I don't know anything about mushrooms actually, <laughs> but except that principle, yeah. that they are okay. antiseptic and okay. they have a high value protein, and the protein happens to be pretty low in methionine, which okay. is the, the most toxic of the amino acids. Interesting. In methionine are the amino acids that most slow your metabolism. And uh, so you're uh, getting two of the metabolic stimulants, lowering the estrogen, disinfecting your intestine. Okay, hold it there, Dr. Pete, for a moment, because we do, I think we have one or two callers on the air. So let's start Let's just start with the first caller and uh, see where we're going with this. Caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? Hello, uh, is this me? Yes, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hey, I'm from Eastern Oregon. Eastern Oregon, okay. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I uh, just have a question. Um, 
The last month I developed very, very high blood pressure that spikes very high. Okay. And I don't have it run in my family, and I never had it before. I had normal. Mm-hmm. And what I did is um, about two months ago I had increased, had my uh, uh, T3 medicine increased a mm-hmm. little bit, mm-hmm. and I got heart palpitations. Okay. So I was titrating down off of that for over a period of six weeks, and I still had the heart palpitations until I went to nothing. And then I heard your show last month, and I started magnesium, and the heart palpitations went away. Yeah, we, Dr. Pete mentioned that, didn't he, the palpitations? Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but, my, but I also, in October, went on a silly little thing where I was trying to increase my body temperature, because even with the... Um, the uh, thyroid supplement, it still is kind of low. Okay. And I heard that if you eat a lot of more sugar and salt in high-dense foods, mm-hmm. that you can do that. So I increased my salt a, quite a bit. And I wasn't worried because I always had low blood pressure, medium-low, you right. know, normal. Uh-huh. So um, my, and then and then over this last month, my blood pressure has just skyrocketed, and it was kind of scary. And I went to the doctor. Now I'm on medicine. But I was wondering, could could coming down off of the thyroid, which I went back on, and and, and also that high salt diet, could that have contributed to this really crazy high blood pressure? Well, first first things first. Let's just how much salt were you using? Quite a bit. I just poured on everything, and um, just throughout the day, I, I don't, I never measured it yeah. or anything. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. But Dr. More P, than I, I normally did. Yeah. Probably. Was, was I, my guess is maybe three or four thousand milligrams. Is that like almost like two days worth in one day? I did that for a couple, three weeks, then I stopped. Okay. Dr. Uh, P. Was your TSH measured as part of the thyroid exam? Uh, when uh, I first was on, uh, I've been on uh, T4 for six months, and when they first uh, started it, it was like three, but then it went down to below zero. Yeah, it's like point zero three or something. It's way low. Um, TSH uh, causes a lot of the symptoms of hypothyroidism, and so a T3 will cause your T4 to go down. And if if it goes too low, your TSH might come up. And TSH does a lot of things uh, uh, go with hypothyroidism, including high blood pressure. It makes your uh, red cells more rigid, your blood and serum more viscous, and it uh, tightens up uh, small blood vessels. Uh, everything it, it does tends to create higher blood pressure. Um, so, so if your TSH is is currently uh, extremely low. Uh, then uh, you probably should uh, have your other hormones, such as adrenaline, uh, checked to see uh, what might be causing that. But Dr. Pete, you, you always um, advocate a TSH uh, as close to zero as possible just because it's a fairly inflammatory chaperone molecule anyway, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So... So, Carla, your uh, your question has have you have you understood the answer or? Well, I'm, uh, from what I understand is that my THC, if it gets pretty low, uh, the T3 will make it lower, and if you increase 
Okay, I think I got mixed up. <laughs> Sorry. So something about the TSH that extra T3 can cause it to start rising up again, or am I incorrect? Uh, yeah, if you had lowered your TSH by taking uh, fairly large amounts of T4 thyroxine. Uh, it was 25 uh, micrograms. Oh, well, that isn't very much. And, uh, no, but it was still low. It, it got low um, under one. It got, it became point zero three or 4. It was real, really low. And then I and then they and then several months later I they incorporated T3 at 25 and I cut it in fours and spread it throughout the day and I was doing really well and, and that went on for a month and then they increased it another 25 which made it 50 and I split those throughout the day in, in fours and then lo and behold I started having heart palpitations at night and all these other symptoms and so I titrated down and I don't know. I went to the doctor because I was a little frightened, and they said they checked my thyroid, and they said it's fine, but, you know, I, I know that numbers, their numbers might not be um, optimal. Uh, were the other things like albumin and blood sugar okay? Uh, they didn't say. I don't know. I don't know. I suppose I can uh, find out, and um, they probably have the records, so... I can find out about the album. They didn't say, they said all my lab was fine, what they said. Uh, do you uh, get a, a fairly balanced diet, like with milk and cheese and eggs? And yes, I, I, <laughs> I stopped doing that silly little thing I did for three weeks there with the extra, with the high-dense, uh, different kind of eating. And prior to that and since then, I, I drink um, milk, a quart and a half or so, and organic um uh, fresh squeezed orange juice, quart, uh, and plus, and uh, and cheese, and eggs, yeah, and um, and uh, uh, Great Lakes gelatin. Um, uh, is there anything that might be irritating your digestive system? Sometimes that can uh, cause oh. stress and no. increased pressure. No, no. But do you think that maybe the, they may say that my numbers are fine and maybe they may not be as optimal as they could be, like the uh, TSH and the, um, and the um, I'm sorry, what numbers did you yeah, ask? Yeah, uh, it's good to have uh, albumin well above 40. Uh, okay. And uh, blood glucose uh, anywhere 70 to 110. Be okay. okay, yeah. And uh, uh, potassium and sodium uh, should be around the middle of the scale. Okay. Well, they put me on medicine, so now I'm on medicine, so I'm a little leery about it, but it was pretty scary. It was up to like 200 and over 100, and then it would kind of go down, and then it would fluctuate um, in between that, so but never that. back. Normal. Yeah, it sounds a lot like an alarm reaction, a stress-related alarm reaction of uh, adrenaline uh, producing that kind of blood pressure because a thyroid, what do you think about thyroid hormone, Dr. P, and blood pressure? I mean, it's actually a regulator of high blood pressure. When, when people get high blood pressure generally, um, they are subject to adrenaline and that other sympathetic, uh, you know, hormones that drive blood pressure up and thyroid hormones specifically uh, antagonizes that and brings blood pressure down into it. Yeah, health. especially when it comes on quickly, like a, it yeah. that it's adrenaline or, or maybe serotonin. Uh, mm -hmm. The reason I asked about any irritating food, uh, 
don't dissolve the gelatin thoroughly, sometimes that can cause gas and irritation by feeding bacteria in the intestine. I don't dissolve it. I kind of put it in my orange juice and, and stir it in cold orange juice and drink it that way, so I don't, like, cook it or anything. Oh, it, it, but I mix it in with the orange juice. Um, but I it, don't feel like my stomach's irritated, but I don't know. Maybe I, it is, and I don't know. I don't feel like it's causing gas. But I thought if I started uh, back up on the T3, like I had, uh, and I've been on it for several weeks, maybe three weeks now, that maybe eventually it would normalize the blood pressure. Is that a possibility? Um, is your is your pulse rate about where it was? Um, about where it was prior uh, to all this, or yeah. is it in the range of seventy to ninety? Uh, yeah, it's it's always been around around that, more towards the seventy. Yeah, um, it hasn't. My pu- uh, yeah, besides, my pulse hasn't changed. Much. Magnesium and calcium are two nutrients that help to lower uh, blood pressure, but potassium is probably the most powerful. Uh, orange juice is a very good source of potassium. And, okay. uh, so a okay. quart of orange juice spread out through the day, uh, okay. the amount of potassium. Well, I'm taking extra magnesium since that helps with the palpitations, and I drink lots of milk and orange juice. And one other nutrient that uh, can powerfully lower uh, blood pressure is vitamin K. Uh, okay. For example, the drops that deliver one milligram of vitamin K uh, per drop. Uh, I know a doctor who, uh, for several months, had his blood pressure had been 240 over uh, 140. No, 240 over 70. And... Uh, Within two or three weeks of using a lot of vitamin K, his pressure came down to 140 over 70. Okay. So vitamin K, in terms of uh, a daily a daily uh, uh, trial of vitamin K, what do you think would be a, a reasonable... Well, that doctor who got such extreme results was taking uh, 40 or 50 milligrams per day. Right, 40 or 50 drops of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I wrote all this down. Thank you so much. I, I also, too, though, they're, they put me on medicine now, and I'm on uh, lisinopril plus uh, diuretic with it. Hmm. So that might kind of add to the mix now somehow, I'm sure, probably. Yeah, I'm but, sure. I'm sure the uh, it would be difficult to tell what your proper blood pressure was all the time you're using something like lisinopril. Yeah, I just started it. Yeah. I just started that, well, last weeks and now they add and it didn't help and so now they added it with a mm-hmm. diuretic uh-huh. but i it's, don't know i didn't know what to say you yeah, know it's, it definitely sounds something more than uh anything to do with your thyroid that you've been using because it's definitely very it's very short and very very quick to come on you know it's a very rapid onset so as lots of people saying it's much more much more indicative of uh something hormone or uh, or you know, uh based that would have a such a rapid onset. Um, okay, yeah, it's probably a little bit outside of the scope of uh, this talk show. Just a, a comment on this any further, though. But I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You too. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, so uh, what other callers we have? The next caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Uh, Missouri. 
Okay, hi, go ahead. Hello? This is David from Missouri. Yeah, go ahead, David. I, I didn't, uh, I think we got some interference between your... Yeah, well, you know, just so you know, um, normally you would be able to hear the radio show when you're waiting on the phone, and it's not doing that, so I yeah. had to listen to that. Unfortunately, there's some hum here in the studio that I can hear, and whenever the light's flashing, I also hear that too, so I think there's some kind of... It's it's not uncommon, unfortunately. It, well, it, that's what I was saying. Normally you can hear the radio show while you have the phone, you know, listening to the phone, uh-huh. while you're put on hold, and you can't do that. Got for it. some reason, so they're, they're doing something differently. So. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, one of the things, does listening to the news cause high blood pressure? <laughs> Quite probably, if it's bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things you didn't ask her. So uh, I quit listening to the news, and my blood pressure went down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, um, I've heard for years that coconut oil is anti uh, an antibiotic, and also antifungal. Mm-hmm. And uh, number one, I wanted to ask Dr. Pete if that is true. And then, how would that work if that were the case? And then also, I think along the same lines is you know I've heard him, um, or I shouldn't say him, Dr. Pete. I've heard you say that um, when you eat starch, that the starch is able to get into the bloodstream and creates all sorts of problems in right. capillaries and different vessels. And that the saturated fat helps to prevent that. So, how does saturated fat help along those lines as well? Is it somehow coating the bacteria and the um, the molecules of starch? Um, yeah, it slows digestion enough that uh, keeps things uh, in a, an emulsion that the enzymes have time to start uh, breaking down the starch particles. Uh, Ah, okay. I, I, it isn't known exactly why that happens, but uh, uh, Gerhardt, uh, 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 I forget his his name at the moment, uh, the man who did the persorption research uh, showed that the starch without fat would immediately in 15 or 20 minutes show up in your bloodstream, but with fat, oh. uh, it didn't show up in the bloodstream, and it probably is because it gives it time to break down a little bit. Uh, but the, the, uh, I think the most important effect of, of the fat is that uh, germicidal action, uh, the, uh, suppressing the, the bacteria. That uh, If your digestion is really uh, working right, your whole small intestine should be uh, sterile, free of bacteria. And uh, uh, sluggish digestion, low thyroid people often get bacteria growing all the way up close to their stomach. And uh, in that case, when you eat any starch, it feeds the bacteria. The bacteria produce uh, uh, endotoxin, which causes your intestine uh, to produce nitric oxide, and serotonin and histamine, and the uh, nitric oxide is a very powerful poison of oxidative metabolism. So, uh, the combination of bacteria, especially in the small intestine, and uh, any kind of 
of a starch that isn't quickly absorbed into your bloodstream uh, is going to feed the bacteria, increase the nitric oxide, and basically poison your respiratory metabolism all through your body. Um, many years ago, uh, people experimenting with uh, germ-free animals, uh, their, uh, their whole life, they're isolated from bacteria, and uh, they have, have a very healthy life, low mortality until extreme old age. And they eat about 20 or 30 percent more calories than uh, the ordinary germ-bearing uh, mice, uh, but they are leaner, uh, much, much smaller fat deposits, and uh, they don't suffer from anxiety. Uh, and the, uh, how to explain that? It means that the bacteria are producing something that poisons your metabolism. Uh, the uh, George Burr's research with the polyunsaturated fats, he demonstrated that, uh, that these fats ha have a similar poisoning effect on your oxidative metabolism, uh, so that without them, the animals uh, burn 30 to 50 percent more energy without getting fat. Um, so the uh, possibly uh, the uh, polyunsaturated fats are contributing to the nitric oxide production, but definitely the the bacteria eating starch are a major uh, source of this anti-metabolic material. And uh, you know, so is the coconut oil because of the short chain and the medium chain? possibly better in that action that you just described than, say, butter? Um, no, all of the really saturated fats are pretty good antifungals and antibacterials, but I think the, the shorter chain, uh, the uh, athlete's foot remedy that kills fungus very efficiently is an 11-carbon uh, uh, saturated fat or a, a monounsaturated and uh, the uh, shorter they are, the, the faster they diffuse, and uh, apparently they're, they're um, more active as, as a uh, toxin or antiseptic if they're a little shorter than the uh, stearic acid of butter. But, okay. Uh, soap soap uh, is traditionally known as a good antiseptic, and that's usually made with a stearic acid. You know, uh, Dr. Pete, based on several things that you've recommended, I, uh, you know, I grow different bamboos, and, and so I can't wait till the spring because I'm going to try this soup, and I'm just curious what you think about it. I'm, I'm going to use a uh, Acme juicer, and I'm going to get the juice from potatoes, and then I was going to uh, cook the um, bamboo sprouts in there. And now that I, 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 for some reason, I always thought that you didn't think that Mushrooms were possibly good, but I would love to have shiitake mushrooms in that soup um, and then put plenty of butter and coconut oil in that. Do you think that's a, in some salt? Do you think that's a decent soup? I, I think so, but it's really good to um, make sure you don't get toxic mushrooms. <laughs> well, you know, I, the only thing I grow is shiitakes, which is that, is that possibly a good mushroom? 
you know? It, I'll, I'll have to interject here and tell you that the only thing that I'm allergic to uh, is shiitake mushroom. I came out in a widespread body rash, and I couldn't explain it first time around. I thought it was very strange, and I'd contracted something serious. I was seriously worried about it. It took about four weeks for it to resolve. And then again, about four years later, the same thing happened again. And I made a wow. connection. I made a connection to shiitake mushrooms. And as you know, I'm a I'm a, a naturopathic doctor, and I work with extracts, and I make extracts of shiitake mushrooms. And uh, the third time round, when I was handling shiitake mushroom powder, the same thing happened. I got a widespread rash over my face and my hands, where I'd been not just handling the product, but must have uh, breathed some of it in and got it in contact with my face. So uh, I find it a very allergenic pro <laughs> product. So I would just put that out there that. Not yeah, just, no, just because people uh, you know, talk I've, about... I've been growing them for a while and mm -hmm. eating them, but I've been trying not to, you know, consume too many. But uh, I've never seen a direct relationship to any kind of problems that yeah. he knows. You know? <laughs> That's the only thing uh, that I've ever been reactive to. You know, uh, Dr. Pete has talked about uh, Gerald Pollack a few times, and I listened to an interview recently that I thought might be interesting for everybody. Um, he was talking about grounding, which I think I've mentioned before on a show, uh, about you know, like walking barefoot and then the electrons flowing into the body from the earth. And one of the things that he was mentioned, he said that, of course, there's no scientific studies to uh, validate this, but he, you know, he's really into the idea of structured water. And mm -hmm. he was saying how walking barefoot and getting natural sunlight could very possibly be helping to structure the water in the body. I thought that was pretty interesting. Kind of, you know, mm -hmm. puts a few things that you've been talking about for a while. Does that make sense at all to you, Dr. Pete? Uh, well, definitely the uh, flow of electrons is the basic thing that structures water. Uh, the, the, um, uh, when I talk about energy and structure, I, I'm thinking about the primarily, first of all, the fine layers of water uh, adjoining proteins and fat in the cells, uh, and uh, that's created and maintained by the flow of electrons, mostly from uh, glucose to oxygen uh, through the, the various catalysts. And uh, when that's interrupted, uh, when oxygen isn't able to keep pulling the electrons and it's, it's this flow of electrons that uh, generates the structure, just like uh, if you uh, stir a pot of uh, spaghetti, all the, the strings line up in a certain direction. Uh, that sort of thing is uh, what happens microscopically. The, the energy flow generates structure, and, and that has all of the consequences of you know, and one of the things I didn't mention that he had talked about, which totally aligns with what you said, is he, he said the, the red wavelengths of light are what help to structure the water, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, uh, a German researcher, uh, a young guy named Andre Sommer, uh, has been doing extremely interesting research uh, showing exactly that, that uh, the red light itself... Uh, organizes the structure of water. Interesting. So I think it's important to uh, do like Adam and Eve and, and walk naked in the garden in the sunlight. 
Okay, David, I appreciate your call. Oh, but we, <laughs> I was joking. I thought I would get a laugh. No, no, no. That would okay. that's, be a great idea. I, I appreciate your call, <laughs> but I think we have another one lined up here. So best, okay, to, get, thank best you. to get next call. Thank you. I know, Dr. Pete, you Bye. do talk about uh, red light a lot as a, uh, a free uh, a free radical quenching substance and anti-inflammatory. So, uh, yeah, that, and it desorbs nitric oxide from the uh, cytochrome oxidase. Okay, somebody uh, called in uh, during that uh, dialogue there, and uh, I think they've left the question with the engineer. So if the question uh, wants to be read out, then perhaps we can go from there. Oh, yeah, she was just basically wondering. Now she said she's 64 years old and wondering about under-eye puffiness, a 64-year-old lady. Sounds like low thyroid, but Dr. P, what do you think? Um, yeah, sometimes uh, low thyroid or something missing in the diet can be a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, most often it's, it's low thyroid. If, uh, for example, if your thyroid is chronically low, your cholesterol is likely to be chronically above average right. uh, as a compensation. Thyroid should turn cholesterol into the uh, steroids, progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA, and those should regulate the, uh, the water uh-huh. and water the inside outside the cell a balance of the water okay i think we have another caller who's just just called in just a moment ago so let's see uh let's take this next caller caller you're on the air and where are you from okay let me turn my radio off hang on a second okay uh let's see i'm from the north coast here okay um i had a a question Uh, what do you know about uh sulfites in wine Mm -hmm. um very allergenic. digestive problems. Yeah. And are uh, wines, uh, uh, companies that produce wine required to stay that sulfites are in wine? Do you know anything about sure. that? Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a labeling recommendation for sure, and sulfite-free wine can be labeled sulfite-free. Uh, other wine that isn't normally has to be labeled contains sulfites. And I know Dr. Pete uh, has always mentioned that sulfites are very allergenic can cause many different symptoms from headache uh, to rash to respiratory uh, disorders. But, Dr. Pete, what, what, what else do you have to say about sulfur? Digestion. Uh, well, it, it's uh, potentially very pro-inflammatory, uh, and it interferes with the handling of electrons. Uh, I think that's why it is so dangerously uh, allergenic for so many people. Um, and... Uh, I've I've had the experience of uh, sulfited wines that, that uh, gave me a, a, a vertigo and uh, extreme uh, symptoms for several days, uh, which I think were from uh, causing inflammation of the intestine. Okay, so just yeah, allergenic yeah. in general. The uh, it, my my question refers whether what about uh, messing up the digestive uh, uh, system and causing pain in the, in digestion. That's why I'm wondering if it's related to that. Uh, well, red wines uh, contain their own histamine, uh, which can cause symptoms in a lot of people. Thanks a lot. Okay, you're welcome. 
Okay, well, I'd, uh, I'd stop right there, Dr. Pete, and just uh, thank you so much for spending uh, your time again this month uh, with the show. Um, I just want to let people know how to find out uh, more information about you. Okay. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, well, thanks uh, to the callers that have called in, and, uh, yeah, again, uh, there's certainly more scope for expanding the uh, discussion on you are what you eat. Um, Dr. Raymond Pete's website has a wealth of information where people can find lots of articles that are fully referenced scientific articles. Uh, his website is www.rayp.com. Uh, and then um, there's, like I say, probably something in the order of 40 to 50 uh, articles on various different subjects, uh, all of which are uh, his specialism in hormones uh, and endocrine uh, yeah, subjects. So uh, his uh, website, www.raypeat.com. Uh, we can be contacted uh, Monday through Friday uh, during business hours at one eight 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 wbm herb And, uh, yeah, this is a couple of days until the winter solstice the darkest time of the year uh christmas is coming up i hope uh, everybody here is uh, paying attention to what it is they're going to eat over christmas uh lots of hopefully no polyunsaturates hopefully people are cooking with butter uh and animal fats and uh making sure that what you eat is organic again like i said you know you are what you eat and the food chain uh, is an extremely toxic uh uh, product. Uh, the whole food industry is extremely permeated with lots of different chemicals now that make food not what it used to be. So when uh, people say, oh, it's not like my grandmother used to cook, that's because she was cooking with real food. And unfortunately, a lot of our food now is not particularly real. So yeah, always eat organic, source and support organic production, and uh, watch what you eat. Until the third Friday of next month, uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks to the Herb Doctor for that awesome segment we had. Came out also thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Draken Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing and teaching Chinese medicine, herbalism, and aromatherapy, Jessica is available for conferences, workshops, and private consultations. Located at 607 F Street in Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online jadedragonacupuncture.com Also, support for KMUD comes from the Inn of the Lost Coast in Shelter Cove. Fireplace, spa, and sauna suites overlooking the ocean offer views of migrating California whales. Fish Tank Espresso and Delgada Pizza and Bakery are open daily. Inn of the Lost Coast, home of the Yellow Submarine, where all that's needed is love and a reservation. For more info, the phone is 986 7521 or online in of the lost coast dot